0: Hello and welcome to the B2B Legion podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. i I'm the Managing Director of Bright Vision, as well as host of the podcast today. And today we're going to talk about relationship sales at scale with an expert in this area, Dan Englander, who is the CEO of the agency and consulting firm Sales Schema based in New York. Welcome to our podcast, Dan. Jacob, thank you for having me. You are a true expert in sales and lead generation and uh, topics around how to grow companies, basically. Uh, So give us the short version of who you are, and what you're up to. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. So again, Dan Englinder, CEO and founder of Sales Schema and we are a consultancy slash agency and we basically help uh, marketing agencies and related kind of B2B service companies go out and get leads and keep the pipeline full regardless of how busy or not busy they are. Um, Previously, my background is in the agency space kind of working on the account side as an account coordinator slash account manager. Um, then led new business for creative house called idea rocket for a number of years and helped them grow tried every tactic under the sun to get meetings with skeptical buyers for you know a service or product that was kind of perceived as somewhat commoditized and learned a lot about how to do that and then started sales schema in 2014 and usually you know what we're doing for our clients is kind of working in an sdr or a bdr capacity if that that jargon doesn't exist in Europe. It's basically like a junior level salesperson, like a person teeing up meetings uh, and, and doing that um, in ways that I can talk about, you know, through a method called relationship sales at scale, which in a nutshell is kind of like combining old school and new school um, to, to actually identify and send hyper personalized messaging to people that are already likely to talk to our clients um, based on on personal or business commonality. So a lot more I can get into there, but that's kind of uh, my story in, in a nutshell.
0: Interesting and cool background there with a lot of interesting experiences. And yeah, this is a very interesting topic, you know, how to strike up relevant dialogue with prospects. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's definitely just as important for companies in Europe and in the Nordics as it is in the States. And... Um, I think, to a large extent, we have seen the same explosion of tools, uh, methodologies, and uh, you know, the tech stacks for sales and marketing <laughs> grow over the last few years. But I'm not sure everybody have become so much smarter or, or you know, wiser, so to say, of how to go about and how to do develop best practices around these areas. Uh, even though, of course, uh, we and other, you know, uh, marketeers try to find our way, of course, and, and uh, measure and improve and, and so forth. But I'm really interested in in seeing what are the ideas and trends you have seen re- working real away in your context when you help your clients strike up dialogues, initiate, and and also doing it by scale. That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and, and probably you're, you're seeing some of the same trends, but I think that well kind of like the fifty thousand foot view and, and the sort of like academic look at it is you know, I think I think in a previous era, um, the scarce commodity was information, right? And and talking about, hey, we have a better mousetrap, right? Whether that's a service or a piece of software or something like that. You know, this is this one has bells and whistles. This one's better than the last thing that you dealt with, and I think what's happened now is there, there's you know so much information and people have so much opportunity to research things, and also like the ease of working with different providers has gotten has gone down. The friction's gotten less. So a lot of the times, you know, whether you're selling software or selling a service. You're selling to somebody that has, even if they don't know everything about what you're doing, they are pretty knowledgeable and there's a lot of information parity. I think Dan Pink has written a lot about this and so on. Mm. Mm. So this is all kind of another way of looking at, I think the way that... Um, uh, buyers in any market, whether it's consumer B2B or whatever, you know, become um, uh, more knowledgeable. And there's a great writer that I love uh, named Gene Schwartz. He was active as one of these kind of classic admin, you know, in the 60s, he wrote a great book called Breakthrough Advertising. Yeah. You can get your hands on it. Great. It's really hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talked about the stages of, of markets, right? And you basically start with you know um low, low skepticism i forgot the exact name but basically like like the way that facebook might have been or the henry ford's car might have been right this is a new thing there's no competition because people don't even know that it exists or what it can do from them mm. for them. and then and then you know there's increasing levels of, of of skepticism where it becomes more about identifying processes, differentiators, features, benefits, and until you get to the last level, which is the most skeptical buyer stage. And this is the level where you know it becomes more about identifying with your your customer or client. this this kind of dovetails with like what Simon Sinek writes about, you know the power of why. The sort of mission of brands, all of these things kind of fall into that last bucket. At least in my in my experience, in my opinion, um, and that's that's sort of where we find ourselves with complex services, with most software products. Even if you have something that's brand new, you know, you've got an amazing CRM that leverages AI. It's not going to stay like that for very long. In a previous era, it might have, but now um, because of how fast information travels, you know, you're going to find yourself. In in that later stage, faster, right? Because more and more people are going to go into that particular niche sooner or later. Um, you know, the market's more efficient and everything. So anyway, what what does that that mean for us? And it doesn't mean that just because you're in a skeptical market, like a lot of our clients in the agency space are selling into, doesn't mean that's a bad business. It just means it's more about identifying with with the person that you're reaching out to. So, for example, to get to get a little more tangible, when we're doing outreach, we're usually doing it over email. And it's more about identifying, it's more about building trust, you know, so it's less about features and benefits and taking people through a funnel that goes through case studies. That stuff doesn't really matter until you have a certain baseline level of trust. So it's more about identifying with the sorts of people that are already likely to talk to you, you know, based on that connection, which I'll stop there because i blabbered a lot, but that's, uh, that's kind of how we're thinking about it.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. And, um, building trust, uh, to cold contacts is really really hard so um, and you say that you do that by emailing them what what is the best ways to doing that to to do do social touches first on LinkedIn or do you know use email purely or what's your take on building trust remotely to a cold contact so to say
1: yeah, so there's a couple good questions in there, and that's fair. I think we we get asked that a lot. Like, what's the best channel, right? Like, there's LinkedIn, there's email, there's direct mail, there's phone, there's all these different things that you can do, mm. social contacts. And it's it, we, we think of it less about channel and more about the level of personalization. Mm. Um, and and basically, in creating the idea that you know who's ever getting this outreach perceives that it was just for them, and the person had a great deal of, of knowledge to actually... Right, right to that person. I think it's really about that, that human touch and hyper level of personalization. So we happen to be using email. We actually, we're a little bit unorthodox. We're not taking people through a funnel. We're not like saying first touch point is this, then we go on the phone, then we go on LinkedIn. Mm. It's really just about email. And the but where the work lives is is it's front loaded. I think what we see a lot of the time with lots of lead gen companies and salespeople is they're backloading the work. So there's very little time they spend on identifying the prospect. They might buy a list or whatever. And there's a lot of time that goes into building a funnel and AB testing copy and all these different things across a lot of different channels. Mm. We think about it a little bit differently. We put a lot of work into, into the data and the data mining process and identifying that prospect and also the copy and how we're approaching them. But, but because we front load that work, we're not really hitting people up in a million different channels. So um, for example, you know, one again, kind of combining old school, and new school um, one campaign we're running right now for uh, for, for an agency, you know, going after very large brands, uh, you know, CMOs, etc, people that are getting completely inundated with outreach, hey, we're an agency, let me pitch you like they know how to find an agency, until they have a need, they're not going to talk to anybody, even if they do have a need, they probably know who they want to work with. So it's more about finding a way to de-risk that conversation, right, and build the relationship. So what we one campaign we do is we say, okay, like, we're going to come up with this list of 5,000 companies, whatever, 3000, 2000. And we're going to get on the same page about each and every company on that list that it's a good fit for you. From there, we're saying, okay, Mr. Ms. Salesperson, export a list of your LinkedIn connections and tell us everyone that you would feel comfortable asking for an intro from, right? So somebody you might know even loosely uh, and and they might know you and it might, that might be 10 people, might be 50, might be a hundred, whatever it might be. From there, what we're able to do is find all those people's connections into those specific accounts into senior roles there, and send all those people an email, Hey, Bob, you know, we haven't connected in a while saw you're connected to these three people, by chance, would you feel comfortable with an intro. And a lot of people say, yes, a lot of people say, yes, I know that person. I can make an intro to you. Other people might say, let's hop on a call. I'll tell you exactly what to say to that person. And then some people might say, sorry, I can't help, but it's still applied interaction. And it's, it's essentially condensing years of networking into like a single campaign. So again, this isn't reinventing the wheel. It's just kind of doing it more efficiently and at scale. And that's, that's the sort of thing that we're doing for clients.
0: Awesome. So, so um that's one of the core elements here to to actually work the network and, and don't forget to use that referral strategy. I think it was, you know, maybe a forgotten art to some extent in, in sales and lead generation. There was a lot of things written about this in, in the 80s and 90s. And then all the digital stuff came along and we were, you know, forgetting these kind of things. So yeah. maybe it's a really smart thing to go there. I, 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 it sounds really, really good. And then if you got the intro, then you do a hyper-personalization email or phone call to that person based on the info you got, I suppose. And, and hopefully can strike up a fruitful dialogue and, and uh, get a meeting or something like yeah. that
1: yeah exactly and and i think that it's it's good to keep in mind like again the the scarce commodity is that that level of trust right and we're kind of like going back to this this kind of tribal like vetting system where it's it's less about you know it doesn't matter if you have all the case studies in the world and all this beautiful stuff that stuff has its place but not until later in the sales cycle mm-hmm. the top of the sales cycle it's more like am i you know are you worth investing 30 minutes or more of my time uh and a really great way to do that is really based on on a, on a personal connection it doesn't have to be a rolled X referral thing although that does work really well we have other campaigns where it's like we both went to the same college we're both from the same hometown we mm-hmm. both used to have a client uh that you know you, you or rather you used to work at uh, an account that we work with a lot and you've since moved on hey i saw you used to work at ibm that's one of our longest term clients and now you're at cisco you know let's talk um so that's that's how we're kind of thinking about things and it's mm-hmm. less about and if we we're able to do that personalization really well at the outset then it is does take work it does take thinking planning but you don't have to do the follow-up game as much because people are going to be more likely to say, yes, sure, I'll give you, I'll give you a half hour of my time. And mm. once you have that call, you now have that relationship.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Do you actually email from the client's account or do you email from your account, so to say? And how do you de-risk the, the sender, so to say?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, so yes, we send from the client account. Um, that's, that's really hard to get away from. I think whether you hire a company like ours or you do this yourself or whatever, mm. it's really hard to use the, the old school sales, not old school, but the previous sales approach, I think where there's like, you know, a BDR teeing up somebody else's time or, or whatever. I think that with, you know, with a high ticket purchase, which is our, our focus, um, what we often recommend is, even if you have a salesperson that's managing the process, if you can have whoever has the biggest rolodex and the most seniority who's willing to take part in this, be the the quote unquote face of the campaign. It really does help a lot, you know. So that doesn't mean you have to get the CEO, but like whoever whoever you can get. And then oftentimes we have campaigns where they're doing a baton pass to that salesperson. Um, so so yes, I think the person on the call um, is, is important and it's hard to get away from that. And, uh, it's hard to have just like a bait and switch sort of thing. Cause people aren't going to want to do that. If you think about it, you're a skeptical C level person, you don't know somebody, you're not really in the market and somebody reaches out to you. What's going to be more enticing the, 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 the person who has something to teach you or the person that's just trying to get you into a funnel. So that's you know, there's pros and cons to that, but I think it's worth worth doing it that way. Um, mm-hmm. Your second question in terms of, of protecting, you know, sender reputation, I think that's the best part about this. Uh, we're not, you know, yes, the scale matters, um, but because we're not just going in cold, we don't have to be sending to like thousands of people a week or something like that. It's usually mm-hmm. in the hundreds and, you know, our clients are seeing every person we contact, they're seeing every message we send and and so on and so forth. And that's that's a big part of this, yeah.
0: Yeah, but from a technical perspective, do you have software that ties into the client's email addresses or do you send the drafts to them basically?
1: Yeah, so so kind of from like a technical level, um, we what we do is we set up like a separate domain and then send from that. And then when we get a response, our clients get it and pick up the conversation from there. Or sometimes we book it for them depending on what they're doing with us.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah. So so it imitates the client's email basically, but it's not the real email. Email, so to say.
1: Yeah. Exactly. But the the effect of it is that you know, and again, our clients are seeing and approving everything. But when a prospect gets it, you know, when they pick up, when they open it, they're they're thinking is okay. This person sat down and wrote me a custom email, even even though the scale matters. Like if you you can't necessarily write everybody a custom email because you'll have time for nothing else and it won't mm. work right you just get <laughs> so the scale matters but that's the effect and that's that's yeah. what we're going for is that kind of hyper level of personalization
0: that's cool so uh, the 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 core competency here is research and email copywriting to to make it really personalized relevant and try to find the common denominators between the contact person or the front person of the campaign and the buyers at the uh, target accounts you're going after.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I won't say that the the account based model like there are some exceptions where you might not want to use an account based model, like where you have a massive total adjustable market and you can wor- you have a lot of flexibility in terms of who you work with. That might be overkill. But I'd say for most of our clients who are pretty specialized, um, the account based model is, is makes sense. Mm. So that's that's the first thing. And I think that. Uh, you know, regardless of, um, you know, people hiring us or doing this themselves, I think that a lot of the times, you know, our clients are kind of like sitting on gold. Like we work with people that are like, yeah, you know, we've been in business for 20 years or 10 years and we've gotten all of our business from referrals. And it's like, guess what? You have a massive Rolodex. You just aren't contacting those people well enough. You're not, you're not finding mutual connections. And if you don't have, if you're new, that might take a a little while to build up, but A lot of the times, you know, it's, it's, that's the the lowest hanging fruit. And that's like often where we're starting. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Is there any other channel you prefer to follow up the email on? You said you don't want to use sequences, you know, these where five days later, there comes a a reminder and so forth. Do you see a role for the phone call here or what's the next step if you don't get a reply?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question. So we're, we're all about persistence, We're not saying that salespeople shouldn't be persistent. It's just a, a matter of like, when it makes sense to invest that time, energy and sweat into into persistence, right? Mm. So at the cold state or, or at the semi cold stage, as I should say, usually we're using a commonality. So we're not going in completely cold. But until somebody has said, yes, I want to talk or yes, I'm interested, but I have a question or some something like that, or yes, can you contact me in this time? It, it's, it can be a little bit like beating your head against the wall. Right. So that's our whole feeling is until you can get a positive response over, over email, um, it, it may or may not be worth investing in, in all that energy to chase people down. Mm. Um, especially it really depends on your market and there are, there are exceptions to this, but if you're going after, you know, a limited TAM or total addressable market for a very high ticket product or service, um, you might as well find a way to de-risk that conversation. So if you, if you were to send someone an email or you rather, if you were to receive an email that says, Hey, I saw we went to the same college in Gothenburg, Sweden, and we were, you know, in the same space, we've worked with companies like, like yours, like bright vision. <laughs> and, and then, you know, uh, you Jacob didn't, didn't reply. Um, if somebody just hits you up five days later or called you, you know, <laughs> that's not nece- necessarily going to shift your thinking on it. So it doesn't mean you can't contact them again, but, you know, we're usually waiting a little bit longer. And, but once we get a reply, then that's where either we're doing it or we, you know, recommend our clients pick up the phone if they haven't gotten a response after a couple of days, that's, that's where the persistence really matters. So it's not about persistence or no persistence, just kind of a matter of like where that should live. Mm. And I think if you're doing this personalization well enough, you'll find that you actually will get more meetings than you can handle if you do this right. Mm. Uh, So that, that's our, our, you know, that's our experience with it anyway
0: that's awesome and when uh, when you do these kind of personalization and set these processes up and uh, and your bdrs are working these target groups so to say what is the core competences you're looking for you know in order to to get these campaigns to work what's the modern bdr look like
1: Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. So I think the, what we say, and we actually like teach this, we have courses and stuff for, for people uh, that are kind of DIYing this and so on. Um, I think the, the, it's, it's hard to find all the correct core competencies in one BDR, which is, which is kind of a sales pitch for, for us, frankly, biased, you know, doing it Mm -hmm. through the right fractional team as well as what you what what I think you guys do as well. And other people like us Um, because a good BDR, you know, needs to have three skill sets. They need to be able to think strategically and creatively, like, i.e., who are we contacting, um, you know, what copy do we write, uh, et cetera. And that has to be done pretty often to create distinct campaigns. This whole like automated machine thing has been sold to everyone, but it doesn't doesn't really work. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's the first thing is like creative and strategy. The next is like systems and operations, being able to hire list builders, delegate list building, cleaning lists, figuring out. CRMs, all that stuff, sending email deliverability, all these things. That's the the second thing is pretty technical, and then the third thing is hustle, which is what we just talked about: being able to pick up a phone when somebody's interested, have good presence, right? Sound good on the phone, uh, have good poise, all those, those all classic sales stuff. Mm. So it's really hard to find all of those three things in one person, and even if even if you do, you still got to invest a lot in training them and doing strategy and so on and so forth. So I think the op- the better option is you know. Biased hire a company like ours or build that team in house and take people off of other things to, to help with that. So I think that a lot of the times, um, that classic model of like BDR, of just like a one, one person BDR lone wolf thing, um, was the, the sort of like energy or the, the, the foundation of that were, were companies that were really well funded. They were doing tons of marketing. They were basically creating leads and investing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to make that BDR successful. Kind of giving them like a launch pad. And I think for lots of our clients who are boutique marketing agencies, um, and, you know that those resources aren't necessarily there. So that we hear the same thing over again, over and over again. We hired a salesperson. We gave them some collateral. We sent them off into the cold. 9 months later, we invested six figures and they got us nothing. And you know, it's it's not always just their fault. It's usually cuz they're, <laughs> sl- they're they're slotted into a situation where they can't be successful. So Yeah. yeah. The answer is hire us or do it yourself, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yes, I think that's very common, you know. It's it's a high-risk recruitment. Everybody needs to hire salespeople sooner or later. But I mean it's 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 a high failure rate on these recruitments. So I totally yeah. agree with you there. It's it's really tough to get that to work for you, especially if you're going after, you know, totally cold <laughs> clients as well. Yeah, uh absolutely. that's so interesting to hear. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. To summarize this, you know, what you said persistent, it takes time and so forth. When you have said to, to a prospect, you know, hey, we're here, we're probably good provider for you, and by the way, we have the same, you know, friend here, where do you take it from there, you know, why? what's the pitch six months later if they haven't, you know, engaged with you so forth? Should you switch the theme? should you talk about another thing and you know talk about your cases in that in that way instead or you know
1: yeah how,
0: it's, it's, what does nurturing look like for for a company with this process?
1: yeah, it's it's a really good question. And yes, um, I, I think that what what we usually recommend is like don't go crazy. you don't have to set up a you know really fancy automation system or something like that. Just have a simple filter that tells you, um, when somebody hasn't been contacted in at least 30 days, you know, I think that's kind of like the, the minimum amount of elapsed time. And then from there, nurturing, um, depends on what our clients are up to. I think that real, like one really simple thing you can do is just say, Hey, we talked whatever, 30, 60, 90 days ago. What, by the way, what decisions have you made when it comes to it? You know, what direction did you choose when it comes to Facebook marketing, whatever it might've been. And what you'll see is a lot of people will say like, we've, you know, we'll say, we've done nothing, you know, or we've gone this direction. And then you might pick up the conversation from there. Um, other people, you know, are just getting getting everyone into a newsletter, kind of basic stuff that everyone knows like that, that that does help. It keeps you top of mind. That's, um, you know, not that stuff that people uh, are generally doing. I think that beyond that, as opposed to having to do this follow-up game, um, the best clients we've worked with, and we did, we don't make the stuff up. We just kind of observe what what's worked for a lot of our clients. And again, our bias is towards like, agency world and like complex B2B services, that's kind of our, our niche. What they're doing is, is usually starting with strategy, right? So starting with, and that, and that's where the most lucrative service is, is basically guiding everything else. Um, or on the other end of it, it's measurement and, and Robert Rose has written a lot about this. It's kind of a smile graph and you can envision like the value kind of having this trough to it, like a smile, right? So, at the top left, there's strategy and then it goes through all the commodities that might be web design development, you know, media buying, all the stuff that people perceive as not valuable because they can get it hired very easily in many ways. And then coming up back towards value again on the other end of the smile is measurement, which might be like CRO and, and you know, research and figuring out what happens. So either ends of those are really valuable. So for example, we have, uh, we have a great client They do, their focus happens to be really high quality web design development, but when they are selling themselves, it's not about that, it's about strategy, you know, so they're starting with, uh, you know, maybe a paid assessment, maybe they're starting with research, um, and they're focused on very hard to reach areas like education, healthcare, government, like high compliance areas. So that helps them as well. So they're starting with a big research project. They might be interviewing many customers, doing a lot of insights, and then that's informing uh, everything else they're doing. But but starting with that starting place becomes very easy for somebody to take action because they're like, we do this research project. It costs X. It's not, you know, it's something. It's substantial, but it's not. It's not like, hey, it's. They're basically they're not left in a situation of saying, hey, call us when you need a website, <laughs> because because <laughs> that will never happen, right? So I think I think that's the main thing is having something to proactively sell the guide strategy, um, um, and that's that's
0: what we've seen work well with a lot of our clients. Interesting. So really interesting. Another thing and last thing there, you also say in your website is that you know, proprietary data that, that companies are too, you know, generic in their approach to find data. And I suppose that's to blame ZoomInfo for, you know, they're buying up everybody who's providing data these days and everybody's in there pulling out data and so forth. So what's what's your take on being creative on, on target groups and finding data sources of, of uh, you know, potential clients? That's not uh, so yeah. obvious.
1: Yeah. So, so much to dig into there. um, And I want to be as helpful as possible. And yes, we have proprietary blah, 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 you know, secret sauce, this and that. Um, First off, to give a little context, I think it's getting more and more important uh, to, to own your own data, to own first party data, to have like, an outreach channel that's basically based on lists that you have that you can build yourself, and being able to contact people that that in conjunction with you know maybe your newsletter list and that that sort of thing. Um, what you know what we've seen in my lifetime, and I'm 34, so it's not like I'm super old, is is just how risky it's become to have acquisition channels that are based on other people's networks so we've seen this all over the place so you know like we we saw uh seo changes that torch thousands of websites overnight we've seen Facebook basically moved to a model where it's it's entirely paid media based where people built these communities over time and overnight they're like nope you got to pay to talk to your own your own audience LinkedIn it seems to be going the same direction like Facebook because they, they want to make money um, Google you know just pr- pretty much just ranks people based on ads like if you just see how far you have to scroll to get to organic results it's very far uh, so it's just become I it's not to say that you shouldn't Play ball on these networks. There is reward to the risk. We have Facebook ads. We do Google ads, um, but I'd say at least you know half of our business comes from outreach, comes from channels that we control. And I think if you sell a complex service product, it's contingent on the idea that not everybody's a fit. So you might as well be building those relationships sooner rather than later, and owning that network over a long time horizon. So that that's our philosophy on it. But to answer your question, uh, yeah, as far as data goes, it's becoming very consolidated. And I think that it's not really about getting data on that golden title in a given company. That's getting very cheap and very easy to get, right? There's so many widgets and there's, there's yeah, you can buy lists to find every CMO of XYZ company between ABC, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, revenue size. The hard thing is identifying the people that already have, you know, a commonality with you. So to answer your question on that, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we're doing, we can get fancy with it. I think if people are doing it themselves, you know, think a little bit old school, like, okay, maybe you went to a trade show six months ago or with COVID, maybe that's something that's gonna happen in the next few months. Maybe you went a year ago. Um, Could you hire a list builder to identify every company at that trade show? Probably, there's probably an exhibitor list. Could you then, you know, identify um, a good handful of senior enough people and then reference the fact that you went to that show and then something you liked at that show and start there. Will, will that work? Will everybody want to talk to you? Probably not, but that's, that's something you can do and it's going to be much more likely to get you a good result than just buying a list and saying, Hey, look how awesome we are. And uh, here's, here's a case
0: study and so on. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's a good, well, awesome. Thank you so much for these insights. And uh, I must say uh, you're, you're very generous with your time and, and insights here, Dan. So thanks so much for that, but I know you're a busy guy, you know, you're running <laughs> a company and, and, uh, I know we have a lot of you on, t- on your plate there, so I won't take more of your time, but Dan, where should we send our listeners who want to know more about you or say schema? Where can we send them?
1: Uh, and I was just saying, Jacob, thank you so much for the opportunity. And this, this stuff's fun for me. So I'll, I'll take all the time in the world and hopefully we'll we'll do it again. Um, uh, so so the best place to reach us is we actually have a webinar on all this stuff or, you know, non-demand pre-recorded webinar. Um, that's saleschema.com slash relationships, plural. Again, saleschema.com slash relationships. Um, people can reach me just Dan at saleschema.com and always happy to uh,
0: to nerd out on this stuff. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. This was awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope we meet again on the podcast another day. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.